Welcome to series two of the Social Care Podcast, Sharing Stories, with me, Audrey Moore, and David Bagnell, aka Baggy. This podcast is for the benefit of anyone working in or studying social care. We like to chat with interesting people in the social care world and hear their stories. So welcome to our episode of the Social Care Podcast this week. We have with us Simon Keating. Simon is a Restorative Justice Project Officer, or JPO, for Lakeila Mentoring Services in Limerick, Clare and Cork. He previously achieved a first-class honours degree in Applied Social Studies in Social Care and is currently completing a Master's in Research for the Ascend Research Group in TUS. He's passionate about expanding his experience and training to help people achieve positive growth and development in their lives. Simon, you're very welcome to the Social Care Podcast. Do you want to start out by telling us a little bit about why you got into social care or how you got into social care? Okay, so thanks for having me on today. It's uh, lovely to meet you again on the video after having met you up at the National Social Care Conference. I got into social care, I was probably in my mid to late 20s. I had been working as a tech, like I previously done the culinary arts um, course in LIT, which is now Toast. And it was kind of always something I kind of been interested in, but there hadn't been, we'll say, a course in it. And back, going way back, it was, uh, we'll say, an ex-girlfriend of mine at the time. She was on the very first social care course in LIT. So that's how I became aware of it. And it's something I was very interested in, the subject. Um, so I made the decision then to return to college as a mature student. Um, and I'd done a kind of year-long course, just a BTEC level five, just to make sure I was definitely interested in, which kind of like maybe I didn't need to, but there was no harm doing it. Um, I applied to LIT and I suppose I went to there then for the four years completing the course, which was, it was a great experience for me that I, I couldn't speak highly enough of the, the lecturers that are in LIT that I had and the help and the assistance and just the learning and development that took place over the four years. Um, definitely huge growth and development from year one to year four. There was big difference. Like, so, yeah, that's how I kind of got into this. I was kind of, I suppose, passionate about helping out people if you can um, and trying to, you know, make a difference. It's interesting the way quite often people get into social care, but it's not their first uh, career. It's not their first option. So, would you like to tell us a little bit about what you're doing now? Because it's not one of those things that people automatically jump to in their mind when they think of social care. Yeah, so I suppose the background to this, um would be when I was in LIT doing the, the social care degree, um, we had an active citizenship and volunteering class. And Jennifer Strick, she's a great lecturer there. She would have encouraged us to, you know, look into voluntary roles and gain an experience. So I came across Lakeila Mentoring, we're recruiting what's called volunteer mentors, and they would be people from all various types of backgrounds that would um, meet up with a young person involved in the criminal justice system once a week for up to three hours, kind of provide guidance, friendship, stability, be a positive role model in their lives. So I signed up with that, and we were very well looked after there, and training was very good. We were trained in a restorative practice, like use it as a restorative approach. Um, I worked with like number of people I over the years. I volunteered with Lakeila for I think it was over four years, and I had to leave the voluntary role later on because I had a, a relief role in a paid role where I needed to be available. That's a different story anyway. But so I had great experience with Lakeila, and I got great experience working with young people in the criminal justice system and helping some of them. They had 
like great growth and development in their life, some return to education, you know, got involved in local soccer teams, different things like that. You might help them do a driver theory test once you get down the road with a relationship built and trust developed and things like that. Then that led me then to, I suppose, through my journey, I had various roles and then a job came up with Michaela. So to talk about the job I do now, which is the restorative justice project officer. You mentioned you learned a little bit about restorative justice in when you were volunteering. But just for anybody who doesn't understand or who maybe hasn't heard about that before, can you explain a little bit about it? Okay, so I suppose there's a difference between, we use a restorative approach in restorative justice, but there's restorative practices and there's restorative justice. So restorative practices are more kind of framework for building, maintaining and kind of strengthening relationships and also responding to kind of more everyday context. It's kind of growing now in Limerick and places in schools and businesses and third level institutions. The aim of that is to kind of help for people to have a shared understanding of what's happened and how to connect and thrive. And then restorative justice then, it's a way of responding to wrongdoing and it's kind of the emphasis replaced on trying to repair the harm caused and restore find a harmony as much as possible between the offender, victim, family or community, depending on who was involved in each offence. And it's generally, in my job, it's people who are involved in the criminal justice system. So, like the restorative justice, it's the way of helping someone to look at their behaviour, how it's affecting themselves and others, and then helping them to try and move forward in the right direction and put things right. Um, we have a number of interventions then, at Lake, different kind of interventions programmes at Lakela that we use to help someone that's referred into us for that. Um, we have a victim empathy programme, a reparations contract, victim offender mediation, um, a victim impact panel, and then the tr- fully restorative process, which would be a restorative conference. That's where the direct victim's involved. Can I ask you a question here, Simon? Um, I had, in the end of the 80s, I had a, a brief encounters with restorative justice and Something I found difficult to get around. I was in a, a guarded diversion project in the inner city in Dublin, and it was trying to explain to young people who were directed that way by uh, the community guards and the social workers and all the people involved was um, what good it would do for them and for other people. So, like from your point of view, if you were trying to explain it, could you just give a little information on that? Yeah, so I suppose when we have someone referred in, it's generally from the young person's probation or the probation, I don't think maybe JLOs. My age range that I can work with is age 12 to 23. That's got to do with funding streams and things like that. But we'd sit down for an initial meeting and, um, and explain to the young person that, that I'm there to help them help themselves. They're generally before the courts. A lot of the time, the judge will adjourn um, their decision to see how they might get on in it. You'd explain to them that they're going to come in kind of learn about, we'll say, their offence, the impact on themselves, others, the ripple effects of offending, and help them get a kind of greater insight into the impact of their actions, develop their empathy, which then, in turn, once that's developed, will help them in other areas of their life and hopefully prevent them from re-offending, which generally usually is what happens. And so it's like that, just helping them see the bigger picture of things, learn about their actions, how it impacted others, and developing the empathy, and then all going well, they're moving in the right direction. But then they also, uh, well, so, sorry, from the experience I had, was it's a good way of bringing their family members in and letting them say how it's affecting them as well, not just the young person on their own. It, like that, it has the ripples out for their family, not just for the victim's family. Yeah, depending on who's involved in the situation, like if the young person's under 18, the family will most likely be involved. Depending on 
the what the offence is. There could be community members brought in. It'll depend on the intervention we're doing. Uh, the first kind of go-to point would be the victim empathy programme for us that's developing the empathy, the creative inside interactions. A lot of the time, the young person that might be involved at the start, if it's an assault or a burglary, they only see the direct victim if they're aware of that. But over time, then they learn that like the victim's families are also victims, the community members now might be kind of living in fear of other offences taking part. Even the guards or the medical people that might deal with injuries. Um, I recently had a young person, he was the first person who actually named the judge as a victim because she had to read the story about his assault and watch a video of it, which is, you know, he came in first, he, he would have only, he didn't even consider the victim a victim because he felt he deserved it when he came in first. But over the time in learning, that changed. But he would have seen the, the ripple effect out into that there's many other kind of victims, like primary, secondary, and tertiary victims. Um, and they do get that learning and see how it affects others. And that's the kind of bigger picture that once they understand that, it kind of helps help them stop reoffending or think before they might act the next time, you know. And then do you see a lot of signs of recovery? And, and when I say recovery, I mean people who may have been involved in other areas of crime or whatever. And this is, say, the first time that they've been called to answer for what they did. And then so they're not recidivists, I say, like it might take them out of the system. Yeah, I've seen that over the, since I've been in the job. There's been young people, I suppose. They've come in, they've no remorse or regret for their actions. They feel that the people that they committed the crimes against deserved it or not. Um, and some of them, they've had great change. We use a thing in Lakeel at the start when they come in, it's called a, a victim empathy scales assessment. It's like a multiple choice kind of test. And they get a score from that, which would indicate their current level of empathy. The lower the score, the better. Like So the scores could go from zero to 50. And some people have come in and they've had little to no empathy. And by the end of it, they have a lot of empathy. And then also there's things like that. Obviously, they go from having no remorse or regret, having appropriate levels of remorse and regret. They write statements or regret or letters of apology to the victims. And they sometimes take part in a victim impact panel. I can talk more about that in a little bit. But that would be where we, the volunteer mentors, like the role I originally signed up for, Lakela, if you have experienced a crime, you can be trained in to be a victim impact panel member. And then if I'm working with a young lad who's committed an assault or a burglary and I have a volunteer mentor suffered a similar crime. It's a voluntary experience. Like the young person might be willing to sit down in a like a facilitated structured meeting with this volunteer mentor and both kind of share their stories through the use of their restorative script, which is a set line of restorative questions. Um, and those kind of questions to help bring a young person from the past, the present, to the future. But it's all those kind of things that when they would come in first, they wouldn't want to take part in something. But by the time we'll say they've grown and developed and their empathies come on that they're willing to sit down with someone that's kind of suffered a crime to hear their story and share and then kind of you, you know it's a good positive reinforcer for the general victim empathy work that they do originally when they come in and then there'll be some young people as well they go on to like they mightn't have been involved in an education system or they mightn't be working but they end up not directly through me but sometimes um they might return to education return to return to work that are then you know they've got like kind of positive things to be doing during the day positive focus rather than going down the wrong roads when you know the statistics are kind of there if someone's not involved in education or work they're more likely to end up involved in crime so there's kind of all that as well that comes with it that sounds amazing but 
tell me what you're doing now. So have have you jumped into that a little bit already? Yeah, a little bit. So like what that's what I'm doing now with that would be the restorative justice project after all. Um I would have referrals from as I said the young person's probation or the probation adult team up to the age of twenty four from the age of twelve. They're generally referred in for the victim empathy program. So that's an eight to twelve week program where we look at like it's a lot of exploratory work. Um at the start it's get building a little bit of relationship, the young person developing trust. And then we'd look into like kind of influences in their life. There are different views on crime and different things like that. Then looking into their actual offence, what their thoughts and feelings were, when they committed defence afterwards, what they are now, helping develop their understanding of empathy, who was affected by their offence, the ripple effects of it. Then we do victim exploration, times that they might have been a victim in their life. And then it's it's kind of near that end that most of them connect it up and they can look back. And that's like empathy is all about connection, about being able to kind of connect with a feeling of the other person's feeling and they can do that and then once they're finished that i mentioned the victim empathy skills where at the start they would have their initial score following the program they do a post victim empathy skills assessment so that can show whether they've had a quantifiable improvement on a score anyway and um, which they generally do have then they could possibly go on and take part in some other programs if their probation officer wants them to and again if they're willing because they're voluntary the next one usually after that might be the victim impact panel that, that I mentioned, where it would, would be a proxy victim sits down and does a shared meeting. And the reason we have those at Lakeland, and it's a good resource, is because there's a thing called a restorative conference. That's a fully restorative piece of work. But that requires the direct victims to be involved. And unfortunately, the direct victims in a lot of cases don't want to be involved because it might be too soon for them. They might still be traumatised by the incident. So by having the victim impact panel, we have something very similar that can, you know, be a good thing for the, the young person to take part in, as I said, to kind of puzzle, reinforce what they've learned. Again, victim offender mediation, that's where I could act as go between between the victim and the offender if they wanted to communicate through letters. It's not used that often. And then the reparations contract is something that takes place sometimes. It's where the young person would kind of and say, do something to kind of try and make amends for their offence, whether it be in the community, it could be community work. Sometimes they might draw a picture, paint a painting, they might build something, and it could be for the victim or just in general, um, just to try and move on and do something to make amends. It's more like, you know, a lot of the, the programmes, it's all about helping the young person kind of take accountability and responsibility for their actions and then hopefully leave it behind them because they're moving forward in the, the right direction. Can I ask a question? It, it's just you speak a lot about empathy and it's something that I focus on a lot. When I have students in from college on placement, the first thing I always speak to them is about uh, empathy versus sympathy. Um, yeah. And what we do, it's to try and enable young people to learn new skills, become independent and whatever. But it sounds to me from what you're saying is that there's... There's also a space for sympathy in the work that you do, but it's understanding the difference between them. You know, understanding what you, what your actions have meant to other people. But for me, I would say that you'd need to have some kind of sympathy for them as well for what they have, uh, the victim has suffered or for what you've put them through. And I think that would be something I'd have to work on a bit, getting the balance right. You know, because I've always worked with empathy being 
the one we focus on most to encourage people to do. Yeah, and I'd agree there. We we would focus on empathy. Simply kind of more along the lines of feeling sorry for them. There's great um I would use these videos with the young people I work with once they get to a certain point. Um probably heard of Professor Brené Brown does a lot on empathy, vulnerability and things. And as she says, empathy drives connection and sympathy drives disconnection. Yeah. We do it all focusing on empathy. Like if it's a victim, if I can connect to a feeling I've had that's similar, the feelings are still the same, but the situation is created, the feeling might be different, but you can still empathise with their feelings. Same with the young person, it's about helping them connect. There's also a good exercise you can do with when there's someone who's offended and someone who's been harmed and what their needs are. And their actually needs are actually very similar, even though one is the offender and one is the harmer. That helps connect up as well. But yeah, no, I'd be... I would be more along the lines like yourself, as you said. It's, it's all more about empathy than sympathy. Um, and that's from, again, be driven by the kind of the teachings of Professor Brené Brown that empathy drives the connection and sympathy kind of drives disconnection. Important still to have sympathy as well, but it's more important. Yeah. Yeah. How do you get the young people to engage with you? Because I imagine that that would be quite difficult, especially when they're being told that they have to go to you and go to Lakela and do this program. I imagine that sometimes they might be like, oh, I'm going because I have to, but I don't, you know, I'm not going to like it. <laughs> so how do you find that? Or how do you, do you have methods that you use to get them to engage? And my second question is, after you answer that, is, I'd love you to share a story, maybe a success story or something from your work. So first one, how do you get them to engage? Well, the, the first one is the, it's voluntary. Their engagement is voluntary. They don't have to come, but sometimes okay. there's a little bit of arm twist. Like if they're in front of a, a court and a probation after a judge requests them to do or start a piece of work, they'd be very foolish to say no. Now, so obviously when we meet them at the initial meeting, I explain to them, I'm there to help them help themselves. You sell Obviously, the program, it's usually the victim entry they're going to start with, but how it might benefit them. Again, then go back to I've had so many roles in, we'll say, social care and guided diversion programs and summer camps, youth work jobs. That's always been one of my strengths is kind of building a relationship. Every person's different and they all have their different like interests. Like I've always found that it's kind of trying to find an in that I call it with a child, whether it's a shared interest or not, or something that you can connect with them with. And then build from there. And that's why I was kind of saying the first few weeks that we work with someone, it's more about getting to know them a little bit. We do exploratory work about their life and kind of getting that connection, a bond, little elements of trust. It's not like they're going to fully trust you at the start either. And then just growing it from there. But I suppose I'm lucky that with it's always been my strength, whether it was all through the youth work jobs, was being able to connect with hard to reach young people that would be described as challenging or difficult. They never are. You just have to find your way to connect with them and then when you can you go from there and good things happen um i suppose one of the one of the young people that i might have worked with that i could speak about i suppose there was one young lad that he came in he was involved in a serious group of thoughts where they'd approached um a man to buy the alcohol in the shop and he refused and then they saw him down in a park later on and he was assaulted by a number of people and um, when he's on his referral form he he didn't regret what happened. He said the, the man deserved it. So for him to come in and start off and then go through the program, develop and grow as he was on, the learning, like his empathy increased, 
the understanding of the impact of his actions and how it ripples out. Um, his, he had a very good empathy score improvement. And then he went on to get part in the victim impact panels voluntarily, where he sat down with a mother of someone whose son was assaulted and listened to the impact that it had on her life and uh, her sons. And he said, like, we do a lot of prep work before the victim impact panels as well. And I had explained to him, you could, you know, be emotionally affected sitting down as he was like, I'll be grand, but we still done the prep that might be. But he said it was like a sledgehammer hitting him in, in the meeting, listening to this lady, because that's the real life story. It kind of, as I was saying, reinforces what the gun show. But he's very happy to have taken part and very much moved in the right direction. He signed up for a full-time course and he was doing very well. So he'd be, he'd be one example anyway. There's, there's numbers of them in different ways, similar or not. As I said, it's all about finding a quantifiable improvement on the victim empathy scales assessment team. Um, but it's even just, as I go along with them, asking them, if, pretend I'm your probation officer, explain to me what you're doing on the victim empathy program, explain to me what victim empathy is, what are you learning? That's kind of sometimes just as important as well, that they need to be able to represent themselves and explain what they've done, just kind of show that they actually have that understanding of it, you know. And um, so he'd be one. There was another young person he would have been a member of the travelling community and he'd been involved in the fence where there was an assault of a woman because they were video recording him. Um, again, he came in, he had scored, I think, 48 out of 50. He basically zero empathy, didn't have any understanding what any of the words meant. By the end of the programme, he'd even take part in a role play where he'd role play the woman he assaulted. When he originally came in, I suppose, he was all about defending his actions. And then by the end of it, he was actually taking responsibility for his actions. He had a, a brilliant increase in his empathy levels. He went from having no empathy to having a lot of empathy. Um, he's still involved with Lakela and the mentoring. Um, and he, he was like great credit to him. He was brilliant to eventually come on and be able to explain all the things. And in the background, even he was like living in a hotel um, that he was like technically homeless at the time. So he'd a lot going on in the background, but he still turned up, put in the work. And eventually it changed from trying to, trying to justify his actions to being fully responsible for his actions and understanding how it would impact the people like our family, our mother was there present at the time and things like that. So it's it's just getting sometimes as well, it's like planting seeds in, in the young person's head and they grow and then all of a sudden weeks later they might say something to us to represent the change and it's just focusing on those little things and kind of expanding them. But it's uh, it was the same when I done youth work jobs and um, with young people in the care system. It's there's an inc like an incredible job satisfaction helping someone to get to a better place. Like you know, it's not about the money or whatever, but it's it's amazing to try and help someone get to a better place. Like see that change. I imagine that it's it's re there's a lot of job satisfaction there, and I imagine as well that there's a lot of positive long-term impacts on not just the individuals but the community and the area as a whole and um, do you guys have like are you aware of any of the long-term impacts or have you got statistics on that i wouldn't really have statistics on the community there is statistics out there i think i wouldn't have the exact but a lot of people in the start of processes their their offending would definitely drop significantly wouldn't engage in offending as much anymore um, again, uh, overall in the whole in the community, whether there be improvements, I suppose, there be improvements for them, whether that affects a whole overall broad community, I wouldn't be so sure because you need more work than with more people in the community to have the, the bigger 
picture done. But it does have huge impacts on the individual anyway, and then maybe improvements in their own direct family, like some of the young people we would work with, the parents would have said that things improved greatly at home. How even, because we'd even look at how like they might interact with their mother or father, how they might speak to them. So all those things improve as well. And again, that has had that ripple effect out then further afield. Like obviously they might, they might act differently in their job. They might treat their, their boss differently. I've, I've had young people work with say that, that they might have, you know, applied themselves better than work or they mightn't have been, you know, as difficult for their managers or things like that because they might think about how their manager feels if they're, you know, talking back to them. These would be young people now in part-time jobs. But so I suppose there is, like, the, there's definitely the benefit of the young people in their immediate family, even how they might speak with their friends or how they might get involved with thing, things with their friends. I'm just thinking today, the young person with me, he was talking about that to community, like, um, just specifically about, we'll say, his offensive involvement, how he would have never thought about how other people living in the area would have thought, like, you know, being impacted by either they're afraid to witness an assault or they might be afraid that their house might be burgled, things like that. So it's just kind of creating that greater awareness. Um, so it would have a positive impact in the community for them. But again, there could be other people living in the community that have never engaged in or started a process or had a youth worker or had another organisation helping them. So it's, it's about, like, kind of... All people in the community would need to be helped for the overall greater impact, but there would be an impact from them themselves just because they're in a better place or they're not going to be involved as much in crime. The more people you get to work with, though, the more of an impact it will have overall in the community. Kind of like vaccines. If you vaccine, vaccinate one person, you know, a, a virus or whatever can spread throughout the, the whole community. But the more people you get, the more of an impact it has, I suppose. Yeah, because even when, say, some of the young people I work with, they could be then start being more of a positive influence to their, their peer group. Their peers, you know, yeah. Like that, whereas someone might be about to involve some lads, let's not do it, this might happen. So that would be unseen and whether there's no statistics for that, but I'm sure that does kind of happen in things. Some young people have talked about that like this, you know, they might say to their friends, well, let's not say steal this car, that person. That's the big one when it comes to cars and if it's car tests. Young people will always tell themselves, like, oh, well, that car is insured, the person will get their money back. Then I might have had someone who's been involved in car theft and you're sitting down and it's explained. And then they meet someone as well, maybe in a victim impact panel, and they'll tell them, well, yeah, my car is insured, but the car was old, so I only got a thousand euro for it and I couldn't afford a new car. And then even the ripple effect, maybe they might have had an elderly parent or family member that they needed to bring to the hospital or school, all these kind of impacts. And when they hear that, then they might be more likely to go back to their friends if they're going to see learn. Let's not do it. This might happen. But I wouldn't have direct statistics for that as well. Now, can I ask, it, it, is there enough people doing what you do? And is it something that you would recommend as a career? Yeah, I do recommend this career because, as, as I said, I find there's great job satisfaction in it. And helping a young person turn away from a life of crime, I mean, that's a whole lifetime. You know, and it's especially catching them when they're young in that, this age of 12 to 23, especially kind of 15, 16, 17 year olds, they're in that, you know, Eric Erickson psychological stage of life of um, identity versus role confusion. If they can get positive role models, they might go off in the right direction. If negative, it could be a lifetime of crime, alcohol and drug abuse. But it's that, it's if you can help turn some away from a life of crime, especially a lot of the people who might come in might be referred by probation and the uh, judges. 
it's kind of their cases will be adjourned, allow them to partner a sort of process, see how they get through it, and then their charges might be struck out and this is their chance. Whereas if, if they do well and that happens, they can go down the, the positive road. But if this kind of process wasn't here, the traditional justice system is assigning blame and punishment. If they're then sent to jail at a very young age, they're more likely going to come out of jail with probably a drug problem or have been groomed into a, a life of crime. So there's that huge benefit. Um, yeah, there's probably not as many as there should be. This kind of line of work, it's growing all the time. Like it was 2010 that the pilot for the start of justice project was rolled out in Limerick. Like I'm basically, I suppose, the one-man band as the start of justice project officer. There's no one that worked under me or with me. Um it kind of in Limerick mostly and then a bit in Clare and we've kind of moved into Cork since last year. There is restorative justice projects up in Dublin in the Haitian service. They have their own RJ unit and things like that. But RJ is, yeah, restorative justice. So they have an RJ unit. They host for the start of conferences and things like that up there as well. There's Dr. Ian Marder up in Maynooth. Um, he's been, like, he's been in contact with him since last year. We like run um, our restorative justice events, but He's a great champion for the start of justice and things like that as well. You know, on the media and things like that with RT and stuff as well. But it is, it's just something that's growing. Even at the start of the practice, that's growing a lot. Like, when, as I said, when I volunteered with Kale, I think it was 2012, that's when I first come aware of that. Just the approach worked very, very well. Um, but that's growing. There's a man, Joe Power in Limerick. He runs the Limerick Restart of Practice Project. That's growing very, very well in the last year now as well where he's gone, there's a school out in Shannon in County Clare, gone fully kind of restorative. Um, he's gone into third level institutions, businesses. So it's growing all the time. Like So it's just with anything, it takes, takes time as well. It, it reminds me of, um, I worked in disability services for a long time and we would have engaged in positive behaviour support for people who had, who were displaying challenging behaviour. And it was all about, not punishing people it was getting progress but without the punishment piece and it kind of reminds me a little bit of that instead of locking people up and giving them harsh punishments it's actually working around them and coming from where they're at and coming from a place of maybe they just don't understand empathy or understand the impact of their actions so um it, it just kind of helps me it brings me back to to my days of positive behavior support you know yeah, definitely similar. It's it's like we said with the punishment system, that that lead can lead to a lot of either subconscious or conscious shame, and we do a lot of work like that. that we're training in about the compass of shame and the different points and how sometimes negative behaviour presentations they're actually just a sign of someone that's suffering with shame. And it's kind of helping, like as you say, shame is that you feel that you you are actually a bad person, whereas guilt feeling guilty is okay. Guilty is knowing that you've done something bad. And it's something certainly young people realise that there might be some underlying shame going on with them. And if they're not bad, we focus on the action, not the doer, and then try and help them move on from that. And you can see, like I had a young person recently, he used to present this, he, there was definitely so much underlying shame going under. Um, and he's kind of gotten through that part now. And he presents when he comes in for a meeting, just even just the way he sticks, he sticks up more. There, it, it, body language is completely differently. And it's, it is, it's, it's it's always like even you work jobs are going. It's positive solution focused approaches and stuff like that. And um, that's what helps someone get somewhere. This 
podcast is sponsored by Trust Social Care Consultancy. If you want to get in touch with Audrey, please go to www.trustconsultancy.ie. Now back to the podcast. Can I ask about the guards in this? When, as I say, the, the brief spell I had with this in the diversion project, we had community guards would come into, it was a youth club we set up specifically in one area. And um, does that still happen in the in the context of this or is has that moved on or changed? Um, I'd say guards probably do go into youth clubs and things like that. They're not so much with me, but I suppose recently we we just recently trained in um, 10 members of Andarda Shiapana to be victim impact panel members. Previously, it was just volunteer member, volunteer mentors from the Kayla's mentoring program. And what we kind of discussed it earlier, well, it was kind of an idea from last year that got put into place this year where we'd have guards trained in that they could sit in with young people to one, help like kind of bridge that, especially maybe in Limerick, sometimes the way young people view guards. The guards yeah. are actually people with things going on at home. Um, and so 10 of them were trained into to be as victim impact panel members. Last year in Cork was the first one I hosted a victim impact panel where I had a guard sit in and the young person had responded, remarked after his parents were there as well. Where he, obviously the guard talked about she children at home, but he, he connected up more certainly in the moment, didn't it? That guard was the same as his mother sitting beside him. They both had children at home. They both had the same like kind of worries, fears, and things like that. So, yeah, we have guards involved now that there would be a victim impact kind of members. Other than that, they wouldn't exactly be involved in my line of work because someone's referred in through the courts and probation. They're coming in for focus pieces work. But I, I think it's important to have those guards trained in this. They can sit in and discuss almost any offence that takes place and like they'd have an understanding of the impact on the victims and things like that. So they're just a good, very good resource to have be able to sit in and kind of share stories as well. Yeah, ours were the JLOs, the, the mm. officers and the community guards. They were the ones that would attend. It sounds like the work you're doing is really, really powerful with the young people. You must really enjoy your job. Yeah, I do. I, I enjoy my job. Like I lo- I really enjoyed the all the youth work jobs I had as well. As I said, you can kind of get to help anyone come from somewhere that might be a more negative place, a more positive place, or help someone grow and develop. There is that knock-on ripple effect for society as well. big one with the crime is a lot of the time they refer to get in might be under 18. And it's very important to get in there. They, they research out yourself. Brains don't develop, understand consequences until you're into your 20s anyway. But it's like to just help someone not be criminalised and get a conviction, which then is going to reduce all their opportunities. And like even one young person would explain to him, he was thinking about doing a trade and he's been referred in and he's before the court. They were like, I hope you do well here. Like, if you want to do a trade and if you get a conviction, you you won't ever be able to travel to Australia or America. Do you know what? It won't leave you in with conviction. He never he did, didn't have an understanding of that. I think that was a very good carrot and a stick for him to do well and take part and do as best as he could and then move in the right direction. But um, yeah, it's the overall bigger picture, I suppose, just for society. And even just society is one thing, but just the individuals themselves, like someone being criminalised or having a conviction at a very early age, it just limits their opportunities in life, work and such not. So everyone deserves a second chance as well. Like a lot of these young people, they're 
they acted out thinking there might be alcohol involved in the offences. And it's just like everyone does deserve a second chance, as I said. So if, if they're willing to put in the work and the effort, then they definitely deserve a second chance, you know. So like I'd be very, I've always like been that in my eight work jobs. I'd be very firm but fair. Like they have to put in the work and come along. I have had young people who've come in and done really well. And then I might have had someone come in and they'd say, well, I'll just turn up and I'll tell the judge I'm sorry. And I have to explain to them, that's not going to be good enough because there's been other people who've come through and they've done really well. And that's what they report to. Just saying sorry isn't good enough. You have to be able to explain why you're sorry. And that's where once you do the work and you have the empathy, you'll be able to understand that properly and explain yourself and hopefully be be more sorry for what they've done or have the, as we said, the appropriate levels of remorse and regret. Yeah, would it be right to acknowledge that it's not just people from deprived backgrounds that this would come? Yeah, and that's a very good point. There is that kind of, I suppose, it's a stigma or like a stereotype out there that people would think, oh, all your clients are probably all from deprived areas or disadvantaged backgrounds. And that's not the case. I've presented some recently, some of that stuff. That I wouldn't have the exact statistics, but I wouldn't even be, I'd say, less than 50-50 even, just thinking like, in Limerick, it might have had a few from which would be described as disadvantaged areas, but quite a number are not and coming from very stable households and working households and in areas that aren't described as disadvantaged. So that's just, I suppose, a highlight that anyone can unfortunately be sucked into the criminal justice system for the wrong reasons through a moment of madness or like you know they're out drinking and making a mistake or get involved in something they shouldn't but yeah that stereotype would be wrong that it's um it's not just people from disadvantaged or deprived areas that are, are all would say involved in this process with me granted obviously people in disadvantaged areas and deprived areas they unfortunately do get criminalized quicker than people from other areas sometimes maybe but yeah no with people that would be on my case though it would be very mixed and um, from all areas, all backgrounds, all all families with various income streams or not. So yeah, I know it, it'd be it's very much across the board. So Simon, loads of people are out there working, say, in residential care with maybe young people who who might benefit from this kind of restorative practice. Where where can people get more information or is there any little courses or anything that people can do to learn more about this or to learn about the resources that you use? Yeah, I suppose it'd be online, like they could look at Lakela's website or there might, there's other organisations in different areas. I know there's a RJ in the community in Nina and Tipperary and there's a few organisations in Dublin. There's again the difference with restorative practice, restorative justice. People could get trained in restorative practice, that's just the approach of maybe how to work with young people, it works very well. But then restorative justice is more specific to harm that's been caused and generally with Lakela it will require a referral from probation or the JLO. So generally, it's someone that's in front of the court system. But as I said earlier, like I did use the restorative approach, then mixed with other training that you have, like therapeutic crisis intervention, motivational interviewing. But I would use all of them when I was working with young people. And I have, in my time, sometimes when I was a key worker with extern, um, being sent to work with young people that were in residential units that might have been respondent people. Um, and you try and use, obviously, those approaches. But there is different organisations that would provide training or a start of practice, slightly different again than a start of justice. But the two are, like for me as a start of justice project officer, I use the restorative approach with restorative practice training. And that's like kind of, we use fair process 
it's more role modeling the right way, which is similar to a lot of organizations. Um, yeah. Yeah. We also use it, like you say, be fresh in your approach. It's an acronym for fair, respectful, engaged, safe and honest. Okay, well, I'd just like to say thanks for joining us, Simon. It brought me back to when I was had a brief spell with this, but it seems to have come on in leaps and bounds since um I had any engagement. You sound like a man who enjoys his job. I'd just say thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me on. As I said, it was a great meet you at the National Social Care Conference. I was very happy to come on and speak with you today. And if it helps other people that mightn't be aware or learn some more about it, then great. Um, it's not like in every area of the country, so it'd be great if it was, and it's great if it keeps growing and developing, because there's great opportunity for growth and development for the people who take part in it, and the, the biggest one is it can help move them away from a life of crime, and that's a win for, for a long, long time for society anyway, as the saying goes, and for the people themselves, but uh, yeah, thanks very much for having me on. Hopefully, social care workers might find inspiration in what you were talking about today, and once again, thanks very much for joining us. hope you enjoyed this episode on restorative justice with Simon Keating. We'd like to ask you for a favour. Please hit the follow button on this podcast to help us increase our reach. We are also open to feedback and comments. You can let us know what you think of this episode by leaving a comment or emailing the socialcarepodcast at gmail.com. Also, just to let you know, we have an Instagram account, the Social Care Podcast, if you want to hop on there and give us a follow. Next week, we're chatting to Emily McAlarney. You might remember her from earlier on in the series. Emily works in Tusla, and she'll be talking to us about Tusla's Mehel program. It's one not to be missed. Take care. <laughs>